Welcome to Ag Future, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the challenges and opportunities facing the global food supply chain and speak with experts working to support a planet of plenty. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm joined by David Butler, head of sustainability at Alltech. David helps set the company's commitments and goals to be more sustainable across the more than 120 countries in which the company operates. A global business must be on top of global dynamics, and among them, of course, is climate change. And recently, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change raised the alarm to a new and higher level with a report titled Climate Change, Widespread, Rapid, and Intensifying. And that's our focus. Welcome, David. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. And so, basics first, David. What is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change? Well, it's an international organization that was set up by the United Nations way back in 1988. And it's made up of representatives from 195 nations. And it's their job to keep policymakers up to date on the science related to climate change so they have the information they need to make effective policies. And the IPCC does not conduct climate science. They um, the representatives enlist hundreds of scientists in the field who volunteer their time to review all of the existing scientific papers and produce these assessments. Well, if you would bring us up to speed on those assessment reports, what do they cover? Well, the reports are designed to provide, you know, the scientific basis for governments to develop their policies, as I mentioned. And they're also the foundation for negotiations at the UN Climate Conference. So this will be central to the next conference, which is coming up in Glasgow in the fall. And uh, they provide the information that the policymakers need, but they don't tell policymakers what policies they need to put in place to, to accomplish their goals. So the assessments have three parts. And the report that just came out a couple of weeks ago is the first of those three parts, it's focused on the current science of climate change, which has advanced quite a bit since the last report came out. And then the next two reports will be out early next year. The second one will deal with impacts, adaptation, and vulnerability to climate change. And the third report will deal with mitigation or how to combat climate change. Well, this most recent report that we're talking about now notes changes in the Earth's climate in every region and across the whole climate system. How does this report differ from others that have come before it? Well, um, first I want to mention how amazing it is to me that they're even able to produce this report because there are hundreds of scientists that work on it and they have to come to agreement on all of the language in the report and then they have to agree with the 195 representatives from the member countries. And so that it's amazing that they can, you know, agree on such a massive document and all of the statements that come out in the report. And I think in the past, um, you know, that the, the fact that they, they all had to be in agreement meant that the language in the report was very, very cautious. And so, you know, if there was a 90% likelihood of something happening, they would use words like likely or, um, you know, somewhat certain. They would use very cautious language. But in this report, uh, they use words like unequivocal. Um, 
you know, it is an established fact. They say things like that. So the science is much more defined than it was, and there's really no doubt anymore that climate change is here. It's happening now. It's caused by humans, primarily from burning fossil fuels. What does this report tell us about our climate situation now, where we're headed in the short term? Well, let me read you the very first point in the summary. It, it kind of says it all. It is unequivocal that human influence has warmed the atmosphere, ocean, and land. Widespread and rapid changes in the atmosphere, ocean, cryosphere, and biosphere have occurred. So basically, that's saying there's no time left to wait. Unless And, and they go on to say... Unless there are immediate rapid and large-scale reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, limiting warming to close to 1.5 degrees C or even 2 degrees C will be beyond reach. What, according to the scientists who've contributed to the IPCC report, needs to happen in agriculture to help put the brakes on these climate changes? Well, certainly uh, agriculture, like every other industry, has its own environmental footprint. The thing about agriculture is that a lot of our footprint is related to methane emissions. And the report goes into great detail about the impact of methane. And that's really the first time that one of these reports has has taken such a close look at methane. And methane is a much more potent greenhouse gas than CO2. And um, it's also very short-lived in the atmosphere. It only lasts about 10 years as opposed to potentially thousands of years for CO2. So that means that if we reduce it, then we can get a pretty quick impact on climate change. So it's a big problem because it's a a very big greenhouse gas, but it's also a part of a solution. And although the report doesn't make specific recommendations, and it doesn't tell agriculture what to do, it does highlight uh, the importance of dealing with methane as soon as possible. Well, agriculture has been taking a lot of the blame as a significant source of methane. I think the IPCC report found that atmospheric concentrations of methane are at their highest level in 800,000 years, and that lowering methane emissions is the best option to fight climate change. But how do you see that influencing ag policy? That's a great question, Tom. And right now in Congress, they're working on budget reconciliation. And in the proposal, there are a lot of climate policies. And there is possibly a methane polluter fee. And as far as I can tell, that is focused on leakage from the natural gas industry and uh, should not affect agriculture. But certainly, agriculture is a source of methane, and we need to think about what happens down the road at some point if there are methane policies that impact agriculture. What would those be? How would that affect the industry? And would they work or not? Well, speaking, David, of of, uh, legislation before Congress, earlier this summer, the U.S. Senate passed the Growing Climate Solutions Act, it's called. And it's now before the House, where it's been since about June, seems to be kind of stalled there at the moment. 
But uh, the bill is supposed to make it easier for farmers, ranchers, and other rural landowners to generate carbon credits by reducing their carbon footprint and then to sell those credits to companies interested in offsetting their emissions. And this ag carbon credit market is kind of in its beginnings and its developmental stages. But as we await some clarity there for things to shake out and for it to form fully, what are some of the ways that agriculture could reduce emissions and sequester carbon? You know, like all industries, agriculture needs to start out by reducing our own emissions. And so at the most basic level, that means that we need to switch over to renewable energy and get off of fossil fuels. And every industry needs to do that. But we also have an opportunity to reduce methane emissions from livestock. And um, we can go into more detail about the possible methods for doing that. But there is a lot of research going on. There is a lot of potential for doing that. I think that's very exciting. And then some methane emissions come from manure. So we can put into place technologies to help with manure management. There are different ways to store manure, separate it, and run it through uh, anaerobic digestion. Um, a big, sometimes they're called a biogas reactor or a methane digester. And um, those allow you to produce as much methane as possible and then take that methane and use it as renewable natural gas or, in fact, burn it to generate electricity. So that's much better than releasing the methane into the atmosphere. Um, and then we also need to explore agrivoltaics. And that's simply just putting solar panels on agricultural land in such a way that it can still be useful farmland. So if you, if you put the panels on racks that are high enough, you can grow crops or graze animals underneath them. And they might be a little more spaced out than they would be if you had a solar farm. But you're still getting the agricultural value out of that land instead of converting it into a solar farm. And I think that's really important, especially as we need to feed more people. So this implies a lot of gearing up, a lot of retrofitting changes that will have to be made to accommodate carbon sequestration and, as you say, renewable energy. All that costs money. What might be some sources of funding for all these changes? Well, as you mentioned, you know, carbon markets are going to mature probably over the next decade. And that could certainly be a big source of income because there are industries like the fossil fuel industry and the airline industry and, and some heavy manufacturing industries where it's going to be really hard and take a very long time for them to um, come up with technologies to reduce their emissions. And in fact, the fossil fuel industry, they can never reduce their, the emissions of their products. You know, they're going to have to reinvent themselves. So in the meantime, those industries will need to buy carbon offsets so that they can reduce the impact of what they're doing. So a lot of money will be flowing out of those industries, and hopefully a lot of that money will go into agriculture to help farmers be part of the solution for climate change. I don't know that this is necessarily on the horizon in this country. Maybe it is. But what, David, is likely to happen if governments take actions to reduce livestock numbers, to reduce methane emissions? That is an excellent question. I think it's kind of 
uh, you know, that's what's on everybody's minds. W will we come up with caps for livestock? I don't think that that would work. And the reason is that, you know, it would have to be on a country-by-country -country basis if there were limits on livestock. We don't have a world government. So nobody can say this is how many livestock are going to be produced in the world. So let's say that the U.S. put a limit on the number of cattle. Well, that's not going to change the demand for beef or dairy. So you would have to import those animals. And they would most likely come from Brazil, which could involve further deforestation of the Amazon or uh, conversion of other ecosystems in Brazil. And that combined with the transportation could actually create a bigger carbon footprint than you had before. Lots of complications in this issue. Is there already evidence that the agricultural industry is taking on a leadership role on climate change? Absolutely. The U.S. dairy industry has a net zero initiative with the goal of achieving net zero emissions by 2050. And there are many companies that are signed up to support that. And the National Cattlemen's Beef Association recently came out with a carbon neutrality announcement uh, also for 2050. Uh, so more and more companies are working in this direction and, and the industry as a whole is moving in that direction. Well, David, as I mentioned in the introduction, you are the head of sustainability at Alltech. And uh, so you must have a very large plate, I would imagine. And I'm just wondering what sorts of projects related to climate change are currently on that plate? Well, I work with several teams across the company. So I want to mention a couple of their projects first. Alltech ECO2 is uh, a subsidiary that Alltech has at works with farmers to help measure and reduce their carbon footprint. And so they're growing and, and getting projects all over the world. There's more and more demand for that. And they, they help farmers in a lot of different ways identify how they can reduce that carbon footprint. So that's, that's really important. And then our research and technical teams are working on a lot of exciting projects right now to help reduce greenhouse gas emissions and other environmental impacts from livestock production in general, but especially from ruminants. And some of those other environmental impacts include um, uh, nutrient pollution like nitrogen and phosphorus runoff in water or uh, mineral contamination um, in soil and water. And so I think that's really exciting. Um, but my team's main... Uh, focus right at the moment is working on our transition to renewable energy. And we've been begun installing solar at some of our facilities. The first facility to have a solar array is our plant in Serdan, Mexico. And those panels will be operating very soon. And we're looking at energy efficiency improvements in our facilities. And we're looking at purchasing renewable energy from solar developers through power purchase agreements as well. What are some various ways to reduce the carbon footprint of cattle? As you probably know, the big problem with cattle is that they produce methane when they digest grass and, and other kinds of fiber. Um, and that happens because in their rumen, there are a number of different types of microbes that help to break down the cellulose in that plant matter. 
And some of those microbes produce methane. And uh, interestingly, the same thing happens when termites eat wood. So that methane, when, it, when it's produced by cattle, that's not a good thing for the farmer. It's actually kind of a waste product. It's lost energy. It would be better if the cow was not producing methane and if the rest of that energy from, from the carbon and hydrogen bonds went into helping the cow grow. So agriculture is working on a lot of different ways to try to combat this problem. And it can help farmers be more profitable at the same time that it reduces the amount of methane that we produce. So one way to do that is improve the efficiency of ruminants by making them, uh, making them healthier and, um, and giving them better nutrition. And uh, you know, the more milk that they produce for the same number of cattle or the more meat they produce, then you have less methane per gallon of milk or per pound of meat. So many of our products do just that. They improve the performance and productivity of livestock, which means it takes fewer animals to produce the same amount of food. So that reduces the overall environmental footprint of livestock, including greenhouse gas emissions. And beyond that, there's a lot of work being done on feed additives and ingredients that show promise for reducing methane emissions from cattle and other ruminants. And people are looking into breeding cattle that produce less methane. So at Alltech, we're doing all kinds of research in this area and, uh, and making great progress on, on finding solutions. And, and I think that it's probably comforting for people to know that this is a problem for agriculture too, just from a productivity standpoint, and that we want to solve that. And there are a lot of people working on that. We've touched on solutions that are in discussion, research and development, and practice at Alltech. What else could agriculture do in general to combat climate change? Well, you know, farmers have been recycling biomass for thousands of years, right? Nothing is wasted on the farm. Manure is used as fertilizer, and, uh, you know, crop waste like corn stalks are used as food for animals. So, Farmers are kind of like recyclers within the, the carbon cycle, right? They, everything they do revolves around the carbon cycle. I would like to see the agriculture industry take leadership of that and kind of help to transition us to a circular carbon economy. And right now, an incredible amount of biomass goes into landfills or gets incinerated every year. And that's a huge waste of nutrients and carbon. So I'm talking about food waste, yard waste, uh, wood waste, and sewage sludge that all end up in landfills or are incinerated. And if you can imagine, we could take all of that organic matter, that biomass, and reuse it or recycle it in some way. Some things can become animal feed. Some things can become compost, and other things can go into anaerobic digesters to produce natural gas or renewable electricity. And then at the end of that cycle, everything else can go into biochar. 
And that's a big topic maybe for another day. What is biochar? We could talk about that for two hours. But Can you just give us a quick definition of yeah, what Yeah, sure. So if you take organic matter, uh, it could be wood chips, could be straw, could be manure, and you heat it without oxygen, you're essentially baking it. It's called pyrolysis. And you drive off almost all of the hydrogen and the oxygen, and you're just left with this kind of crystalline carbon. And if you put that carbon in the soil, or if you use it in manufacturing of some other product like roadways or plastics or concrete, then you're pulling that carbon out of the carbon cycle. And so you're sequestering it, and it can last in the soil for hundreds to thousands of years. And that's a great way to draw down carbon from the atmosphere. It's all so interesting, and we'll revisit over time. David Butler, Head of Sustainability at Alltech. We thank you so much, David. Yeah, thank you, Tom. I'm Tom Martin. Thanks for listening. This has been Ag Future, presented by Alltech. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Ag Future wherever you listen to podcasts.